Listen. Just listen. I'm Julie Ganey, and you're listening to the Second Story Podcast. Second Story is a hybrid performance series of stories, wine, and music, a collaboration among writers, actors, musicians, and others to create good stories and good times. The stories are written by the performers themselves, sometimes funny, sometimes poignant, always thought-provoking. And now, Second Story Company member Megan Steelstra. Hello. I have never told this to anyone. I don't just mean to an entire room full of strangers. I mean anyone, not even my husband. And mostly because the whole thing is so completely ridiculous, but also, I've always been a little scared that I might jinx myself. Like even whispering the words would screw me in the greater cosmic order. But okay, here goes. When I was 19 years old, a psychic told me that my ovaries were broken. Clearly, she was mistaken. Uh, The proof is right now kicking me in the bladder, and if I can get through this story without having to leave to pee, then I deserve a standing ovation here, people. But anyhow, the ridiculous part is this. I've been walking around for over a decade wondering, what if? What if I can't have a kid? This is a completely irrational assessment on my part. All my goods are in order, medically speaking. In fact, when I was 25 and especially poor, the doctor at the free clinic suggested I sell off my eggs. You're an ideal candidate, Megan, she told me. White, blonde, healthy, with a graduate degree. You could ask top dollar. I was on the table in the paper robe, no idea how to respond, because one, there were so many things wrong with that comment, I don't even know how to begin. Two, I'm never quite sure how to talk to doctors when I'm naked. And three, I didn't even think my top dollar eggs worked because of some two-bit storefront psychic, which I know it is so stupid. I don't even believe in the paranormal, the astrological. The universe has a greater plan for us all, blah, blah, take a bath and get a job. That's what I always thought. Until I sat down across from that frizzy-haired bitch of a gypsy who told me I'd never have a kid. I wound up there because of my college roommate, this 17-year-old deadhead Fruit Loop who played Indigo Girls. I went to doctor. On repeat. Also, she had a drum. <laughs> with which she went drumming. I'm telling you, this girl was a 3D stereotype. Birkenstocks, check. Gauzy skirts, check. Homemade beads of female clay, check. In her dreadlocks, check, check. I'm Nancy, she said the day we met, both of us lugging suitcases into the dorm. But you can call me Persephone. (laughs) No, I can't, I told her. Because if I did, I'd asphyxiate on my own vomit. This was a phrase I used often at 19, always with a scoff after the word vomit, like, I'm gonna asphyxiate on my own vomit. (laughs) I'd learned that word from the movie Heathers, where Winona Ryder is all dark and angsty with too much eyeliner and Sylvia Plath. I wanted to be the Heathers Winona Ryder, which meant a girl like me and a girl like Nancy sharing a dorm room was enough to fuck me gently with a chainsaw. For six months, 
I endured her tarot cards and rain sticks, the Celtic runes and power crystals and yin-yang balls, dream catchers, hemp African handbags, vegan cookies, wheatgrass, and altars to Shiva, but the absolute worst was she had a dirty boyfriend. Not dirty like sex dirty, dirty like the man did not believe in showering. Something about like natural human essence and masculine oil. Bottom line, he stank. Plus, he and Nancy had these ridiculous conversations like, I love you, Persephone. I love you too, Dawid. He changed the V in David because of some Hebrew sun god or whatever, I don't know. And he'd say, not only do I love you, Persephone, you are love. And she'd say, because of you. And I'd be all, because dorm rooms are like two feet wide, so my bed was practically on top of both of them, which it turns out Dawid would have been kind of down with because he was one of those dirty free love hippies. Like, we should all love each other and take off everybody's pants. Turns out there were all sorts of girls on campus who not only did he love, they were love. And when Nancy found out that precious fact, she played Tori Amos for two straight weeks which made me want to die. This is how I wound up at the psychics. Had I been in my right mind, it never would have happened, but I was so brain dead from the, but what if I'm a mermaid in these jeans of his with her name still on them? That when Nancy lifted her head up off the tie-dyed tapestry and said, I just need to know if he and I are gonna be together in another life. I said, okay, fine, without knowing what I was getting myself into. The place was called Spiritual Energy Readings. Some Sherpa friend of Nancy's told her about it. And it was the last place I would expect to connect with the greater power of the universe. There were no candles, no bead curtains, no crystal balls or black cats or bloody chickens. Just a second floor storefront, not unlike the crack houses on Law and Order. Nasty carpet, a couple folding card tables, and a blinking neon sign that said, Fortunes by Contessa. I shot Nancy my, are you fucking kidding me, look. But when faith in the Earth Mother's Taurus was wavering in someone else's Libra, the hippie requires a guide to again find her spiritual path. The fact that Nancy's guide was not the crystal goddess of the North, but rather a short, fat, 40-something woman with frizzy hair, too much jewelry, and a Led Zeppelin t-shirt was irrelevant. Nancy took one look at Contessa and burst into tears. Contessa nodded slowly and lit a cool. Ah, she said you have a problem. <clears throat> Nancy's red puffy eyes widened in amazement. She actually thought this woman had just stared into the very depths of her soul. I do have problem. <laughs> of course you have problem, I wanted to yell, but was of course too busy asphyxiating on my own vomit. <laughs> so instead I watched as Nancy crumbled into a lawn chair, dropped a 20 on the folding table, and spent the next half hour feeding this little orc of a woman all the information necessary to guess her whole entire life story. As in, I just miss him so much. Ah, there is man. There is man, and this man, he has left? He has left. There is other woman, perhaps? There is seven other women at last count, I thought, but Nancy was crying again, getting snot up in her dreadlocks. This went on for a really long time. I remember Contessa chain-smoked menthols. 
She excused herself twice to answer the phone. She dealt a tarot deck with the same speed and efficiency as my cousin Paul the poker shark. And somehow, in the end, she made my squirrely-ass roommate feel better. I don't know how to thank you, Nancy gushed, reaching into her free trade purse for more cash. That's when Contessa lit another cool and pointed at me. I don't think so, I said. You come, she said. No, thank you. I said, come, and I said, no. Looking back on it now, I wonder if she did have some kind of psychic gift, or maybe her other job was bartending so she could just read people really well. Whatever the case, she leaned back in her chair and said the one thing in the greater universe that could have made me stay. I see, you are afraid. Had someone told the Heathers Winona Ryder she was afraid, she'd have made them drink Drano. And while I was not yet that tough, I was on my way, goddammit. No way, no how was I afraid of this woman. I sat down in her lawn chair and took a cool out of that pack. I used her Zippo to light it and dragged deep. I was going to say, bring it on, Contessa, but I didn't smoke, so instead I just concentrated on not coughing. <clears throat> she looked at my palms first and gave me the usual. You're strong-willed, you've traveled far, you'll give the world great things, blah, blah. It was textbook predictable. I kept expecting her to bust out with, there is great curse on your family. Come back with $2,000 and I lift it with innards of pureed goat. It was when she switched to the tarot cards that things got weird. She spread five out in front of me, cups, wands, night of something I don't remember. And she stared at them for a really long time. Then she said, oh, it's those single syllables that'll kill you. Your dentist says, oops. Your pregnancy test says, plus. Your psychic says, oh. It could be nothing, she said. But I looked at her face and I knew it was something. I thought of Heather's Winona Ryder at the end of the movie when she's all strong. She wouldn't just sit here. She'd grab a switchblade out of her Doc Martin and slam it through this woman's hand. Then she'd say something very witty and obscene involving household appliances and get the hell out of there. Down to the sidewalk and back into the world where free will reigned and fate doesn't, res fate doesn't reside in some 50 cent novelty store crystal. Stand up, I told myself. Stand up and get the hell out of here because you don't believe in this stuff anyhow. But the thing is, all of a sudden I sort of did. I imagined all the things that might be behind that, oh, like maybe I'd die tomorrow, maybe I would kill someone tomorrow, maybe everyone would be killed tomorrow over something I said or did or thought. Tell me, I said to Contessa, and it wasn't me being tough. This was me being scared. I don't remember exactly how she said it, something about my middle or my insides or my lady parts, but she did use the word broken. She said, you are broken. Had this woman been my doctor, then the fear that I've been carrying around for the past decade would be logical. I could understand that panicky, what if feeling as I held my new friend's kid, my friend's new kid, or whispered with my husband about our someday far off in the future children, or seven months ago, taking a pregnancy test in the public restroom at the Uncommon Ground. Maybe some of you have had a similar experience. <laughs> Waiting those long three minutes between peeing on the stick and your whole life changing. 
As the first minute passed, I thought about myself at 19. I wore Doc Martens and fishnets simultaneously. I lived in a different place every six months, and I thought I knew everything. Now, I have a home, a husband I am so crazy about, I can't even breathe sometimes, and I'm sure that I know one or two things, maybe. As the second minute passed, I thought about how much I wanted this kid. I could probably have exploded that bathroom with the sheer power of my brain. Bricks would fly off the wall, plumbing would rip off from the floor, and I'd be left sitting on the toilet amidst the rubble and the dust, staring at that little plastic stick. It was after the third minute, though, that I got it. Nancy and Contessa and crystal balls and all of it. Because in spite of all my non-belief, there really must be some greater power in the universe. The proof is currently kicking me in the bladder. Thank you. That was Megan Steelstrap. If her story gave you ideas for your own second story, we'd love to hear them. Please join us for our ongoing series at Webster's Wine Bar and the Morseland, or one of our upcoming special events. On May 28th, join us late night at Straw Dog Theater. Visit our website for more details. Second Story Podcast is brought to you by Amanda Delheimer, Megan Steelstra, Shannon Sullivan, Miles Pulaski, Mikhail Fixel, and Nick Kawahara. I'm Julie Ganey. Serendipity is funded in part by the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, the Illinois Arts Council, a state agency, the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, City Arts Grants, the Chicago Community Foundation, a part of the Chicago Community Trust, the Arts Work Fund, and listeners just like you. To find out more about Second Story, the performances, and our performers, or to make a donation, visit us at secondstory.com. <laughs> <laughs>